Nehemiah chapter number 1. Well, uh, this, uh, this summer we're going to walk our way through this book and uh, hopefully we, we're just kind of coming off the hills of the book of Revelation, intensely theological and uh, kind of helped us put all, some of that eschatology together and uh, you, know, you can press your friends at the water cooler tomorrow with that word, with that word just simply means last things. I got to thinking about where the Lord would have us, and so I felt like uh, this part of the year we need to be in the Old Testament, and I want us to kind of discover and work through a very intensely practical book of the Bible that the Lord would grant us favor and grace and help in our lives. So today we'll begin with a little bit of introduction, and then I'll do my best to walk down through these 11 verses, and we'll just get as far as we can. Uh, Before I pray and begin the sermon, I don't normally do this, but past uh, few weeks, my heart has really been burdened, and I just want to share this with us as a church congregation. Uh, we are uh, always trying to evangelize our community and share the gospel with people that are outside of our doors. We also want to be the kind of people that uh, help and take care of the people that are members of our church. And so if you are one of our members here and you say, man, I would like for pastoral staff or one of our deacons from our deacon body to come and visit me and, and uh, minister to me, I, I want you to feel free to stop us after the service. That's what we're here for. And if we don't know, we can't help. And then uh, something else that's been on my heart I want to make available to you, uh, as the Lord is blessed here, we have uh, two licensed uh, Christian counselors that uh, are members of this church. And they deal with family counseling and crisis counseling. And uh, they are not free, but they are fair. And I want to make that available to you as well. And if you need help or if you know somebody in our community or a loved one in your family uh, that uh, just needs some help and and some ongoing help, uh, these uh, these two folks uh, have, um, I would say who they are, they don't want to be known at this point, uh, but they are here to help and to uh, love the church and come alongside of us. And so I just want to make that available to our membership here. And if you have friends or neighbors or somebody in the, in the community that really needs uh, for a season some help, then uh, see me at some point and uh, be glad to plug you in uh, with that ministry as well. So would you join me in a word of prayer? And as I pray vocally for us, would you pray in your heart that God would open this book and teach us how to be conformed to the image of His dear Son? Our Father, now we do come to this portion of the service where we open Your Word, and it is holy, it is divine. Father, we use these words in our prayers, but we believe that it is inspired, that it is the very breath of You. Lord, that it is inerrant, that every single word from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation is completely correct. Lord, we believe that it is infallible that every doctrine and every truth throughout all of Scripture is unified and that nothing in Scripture teaches us anything contrary from any other place in Scripture. And Lord, we believe that this Word is the Word that You use to transform and change the lives of people. And so I pray now for those that are in this room today that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. I pray that Your Spirit would convict them through the Word, that they would see themselves as desperate and hopeless sinners, and that they would bow down physically and spiritually and receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Master of their life, that their sins would be washed away and that they would be given new life. I pray for the believers in this room. 
Lord, some of them are working hard, loving You, and putting time into their Christian life, and yet they are weary and tired and struggling with ongoing besetting sins. I pray that You would encourage them, fill them with the Spirit of God, help them to see afresh and new in the Scripture how to be like Jesus. Lord, there are believers here today who are straying from You. They have open and unconfessed sin in their life. They are nonchalant and uh, just easygoing in their Christian life. And Lord, they are in some ways backslid or away from You. I pray in the name of Jesus that You would burden their heart, that You would call them through the Word and the Spirit back to a fervency of Christianity. And Lord, may You be glorified and honored and praised by this time in Your Word. May the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up, for He shall draw all men and all mankind to Himself when we do that. And may the sweet Spirit of God, who is that comforter and sealer and helper, be working in and out of our hearts and in the very building and the room that we sit. We come before You asking You for these things and praising You in advance for what You shall do. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. So, Nehemiah is this Old Testament book, and those of you that may want to take notes, you'll find that in a Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are one book. And Ezra and Nehemiah really are structured the same way. The first six or seven chapters of Nehemiah speak about the rebuilding of the walls, and then the latter portion of Nehemiah speaks about the rebuilding of the people and the rebuilding of the heart. And Ezra did the same thing in his book you'll find that about a uh, about hundred years prior to the book of Nehemiah, that God's people, uh, they were sinning against Him. They were having other idols and other gods. And so God brought along the nation of Babylon to take the children of Israel into captivity. And then after about 70 to 80 years, you find that the Persian Empire comes upon the scene. They take over for the Babylonian Empire. And uh, the children of Israel go back to Jerusalem uh, in, a, in a remnant fashion, a small portion of them. And they begin to a project of rebuilding the city and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls. But they don't get too far. And in, find, in fact, you'd find that in Ezra chapter number 4 that they start building the walls and the very king that Nehemiah is speaking to in this book, he stops all the work on the walls. And so everything becomes in shambles. The children of Israel are not in their country. They are in captivity. And now the book of Nehemiah finds us with Nehemiah as the last words that our brother Walt read in the last part of this chapter, that he is the cupbearer in the king's house and all rests upon Nehemiah. By way of introduction, you'd find that if you are reading the Old Testament quite faithfully, that there should be nothing new about what's going on here. All throughout the Old Testament, you will find God's people being in some sort of captivity and one of God's people being elevated in a foreign kingdom who will provide redemption for His people. For instance, you find Abraham that's in Ur of the Chaldees and God calls Abraham out of that. From him shall come a king that will rule all the nations. And a little bit further in the book of Genesis, what do we find about Joseph? Isn't it Joseph that goes down into Egypt and he is elevated to the second place in all of the kingdom and eventually he provides redemption and food for his people? 
And when you move to the book of Exodus, isn't that exactly what you see with Moses? That Moses is pushed down the river in that little tar basket that reminds us of Noah and the ark. And there he is raised in the Egyptian empire. And one day the book of Hebrews says that his heart was so much with his people that he must provide deliverance for the children of Israel. And what about for all of our sisters in the room? What about Esther? Isn't that exactly what happens in the book of Esther? All of the children of Israel are struggling and an edict goes out from the king that all of them are to be killed. But Esther, and that wonderful little phrase that says, who knows that maybe you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther provides redemption through God's power and God's grace and God's dominion for all of the people of Israel. And there's Daniel in the den of lions. There is Daniel who provides the redemption for his people. Elevate him. And so when we come to the book of Nehemiah, you'll find that we have God's children, Israel, who are distraught and in pain and in need of deliverance. And you'll find this one who is elevated in the kingdom and brings restoration and deliverance by the mighty, powerful hand of God. And when you come to the New Testament... There shall be one who will be called out of Egypt and eventually go to the cross and provide redemption for all of His people. And that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's walk down through these verses together and see if we can't learn some lessons. So follow with me. Verse number 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. First of all, Nehemiah means son of comfort or uh, the one who brings comfort. And you'll find that in this book, Nehemiah, even though he is a great leader, he is always the one that brings comfort to his people. It says, now it happened in the month of Chislev that it would be somewhere between November and December. So it's in the winter months. In the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that would be the uh, winter residence of the king there. Verse number 2, that Hanani, one of my brothers. Now, when it says here, one of my brothers, that can be interpreted several different ways. It could mean that it's a blood relation, that it's his brother that way. It could mean that he's a, a kinsman, maybe a, a cousin or an uncle or somebody like that. Or it could just mean that we, like in church, how we call people brothers and sisters. Uh, what I opt for, I think probably would be the best here, is to see him actually, Hanani, here as a blood brother. For you'll find that he calls this man, Hanani, again the same thing. Brother, when he lifts him to a position in chapter number 7 and verse number 2 of this very book. Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked... Or I question. You want to highlight that word. We'll come back there in a second. It says, this, this word here where it says, I asked or I questioned him concerning what was going on with the Jews. It's a very heavy term that it means I have sought to look into. I wanted to know what was going on with my people. These are my people and I love them and I care for them. And that's my kingdom. That's where I come from. And he really cared. This wasn't the passing in the hallway of your average Baptist church where you say, hey brother, how you doing? And you keep whizzing right on by before you ever find out how they're doing. We would be guilty of that kind of life, wouldn't we? We're the kind of people that we, we shake your hand and we ask the question, but we really don't want to know because we've got enough junk going on in our own lives. 
And you know those people as well as I do that you avoid. You like go out the door and around the other. You park. If you see them pull in, you park down the road just so you don't have to ask them what's going on. Nehemiah was not that kind of guy. Nehemiah looked these people in the eye and said, you're my people. I love you. I care for you. What's going on? We'll get to that in just a second. What's concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem? Notice in uh, verse number 3, you'll find maybe three things that are going on here. He says, they said to me, the remnant, right? This is the small group of people that have come back. And so he's first of all seeking here and talking to this remnant of people and says, or the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress. The word here for great distress means that there is all kinds of pain and persecution and dislodgement. These people are being marginalized. They are social misfits. They are being put out by all of the empire here. And so it's a small remnant of people. It is a people that is going through deep and heavy persecution. And then it says here, and reproach or contempt. They were looked down upon. They were lesser. They were condescended to. And so when Nehemiah asks his brother what's going on, he is speaking to a group of people that are small in nature, that have been beat up and hurt both spiritually, physically, and emotionally, and they are a people of reproach. And in a moment of pre-application, can I say to you that every single Sunday, there are people in this room that feel alone, and who are hurting, and who have been hurt by people, who have been condescended to, and who are under reproach. And I just want to ask you, do you care enough to ask them what's going on in their life? Look back down if you would. Well, let me stop there for a moment. Let me make one point here this morning. We pray for what we care about. Those of you that are taking notes, just maybe jot that down today. We pray for what we care about. Look back at verse number 2. And Hannah and I, one of the brothers and some of the men from Judah came, and it is Nehemiah that takes the initiative. It is not that the people come and dump upon Nehemiah, but it's that Nehemiah has the heart and the compassion and the care to go to them and say, hey, what's going on? And I just want to pause this week. I've been praying through this passage and asking myself these tough questions. I want to maybe just put it all in your lap a little bit today. I've been under a burden and under conviction, and so I'll just share my conviction with all of you, all right? What do you care about? Do you care enough about the people of this church to ask what's going on in their life beyond the surface? Do you care enough to get down deep into their soul and find out ways that you can encourage them, help them, administer to them, and pray for them? Do you care about what our youth are facing in school? Do you care about what our seniors are facing when they lose their loved ones and they uh, acquire disease that will take their life and minds begin to slip? Do you care about those that are in their 40s and 50s who are caring for uh, age aged loved ones or do you pass by because of the things that are most important in your life what about our neighborhood what about lost people 
Do you care enough to share the gospel or your testimony or invite somebody in our neighborhood and in our, in our area to come to church to hear about Jesus? What about those at school and at work and with family? Do you care enough to get over that lump in your throat of how awkward it is when you share the gospel or how awkward it is when you approach religious subjects to really care and invest in the lives of lost people? My brothers and sisters, I, I, I preach on the authority of the Word and not me. This isn't me speaking. But people who do not have the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are lost. And when they die, they go into eternal judgment. Do you care about those people? Do I care about them? Are we the kind of church where the things that are important to us are the things that are important to God? I know it's a little bit different. I'm not swinging from the chandeliers today and hooping and hollering all over the place, but I feel like maybe this is a little bit uh, of surgery that we need to have in our own lives. I want to ask, do you really care? What is it that's most important to you? Are the things that are important to you the things that are important to God? What about your family, sir? Is your family important to you? I'm sure every man in this room would say to me, Pastor Steve, my family is very, very important to me. Okay. How are you doing for modeling the Christian life for them? Do they see you pray? Do they see you read the Scriptures? Have your children or your wife ever one time seen you invite somebody to come hear the gospel or to share a gospel track with a waitress or somebody in line or somebody at the bank? Has your family ever one time seen you do those kinds of things? Or do they see you get amped up over you take your choice. Fishing, games. Hey, I love basketball just like anybody else. You better believe that I'm going to be watching that uh, Western Conference Final. And if not, I'm going to catch it on my phone. I'm a normal guy just like everybody else, okay? But do sports and activities and hobbies dominate your life? Or do you care about the things that God cares about more than all of the rest? I just picked on the guys today because they need it a little bit. And I want to keep all the ladies on my side. But ladies and everybody else in here, isn't that just a point to think about, right? Why don't you just work that and massage that into your life right now? What do you, what do you care about? And then ask yourself that diagnostic question. The things that are really important to me, that I get upset over, that, I, that I've got to have, that I really pursue, are those the things that God is really concerned about? Somebody said one time, only one life shall soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. I, I suppose that can become cliche-ish, but isn't it pretty much true that one day all of the things that are menial and trivial that we put so much time and effort into and yours truly as well too 
Aren't all of those things going to pass away? And you remember when we studied Revelation and the Bible says that one day at the great white throne that heaven and earth moves away from the very face of the living God? That, is, that scares me. I, don't even, I can just imagine in my mind, I don't even know what that's going to look like, but when the whole world passes away and you're standing before the God of the universe, I don't know whether you're naked or naked spiritually, somehow you're going to be vulnerable for God. And He asks you, the life and the breadth and the skills and the talent and what I gave you was the concern of your life my concern. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you today that we pray for the things that we care about the most. Go home and spend a few days thinking and praying and saying, Lord, what are the things that you care about that I should care about? And help me to invest my life in those things. I was reading uh, this past week a story of a police officer. I forget, I think it might have been in Cincinnati, maybe somewhere in Ohio, police officer that um, once a week he volunteers an hour in the inner city in underprivileged children uh, where he, he goes after school and just spends an hour with them, uh, teaching them and working with them and playing games with them. Said in the summertime, he takes down there a slip and slide so the kids can play. And in the wintertime, he brings them coats. You know why that guy does that? He never asked for a reporter. He never asked for anybody to come to a story. The reason why he did that is because he believed in his heart that he cared about those children enough and that God cared about him. And it was important to God and therefore it became important to him. And he began to pour his life into that. You have anything like that in your life? I would just say, look into the scripture and find the things that God cares about and pour your life into those. We pray for the things that we care about. Let me make a second point here. When we really find something that we care about, we pray as if nothing else matters. When we find something that we really care about, that we can put our teeth into, that we can put our life into, we will pray and seek the face of God as if nothing else matters. Verse 4 through 11 is really, that's what Nehemiah is doing. He has found in verse 1 through 3 what he really cares about, his people, the fact that the walls are torn down, the fact that there's no safety. He cares for his people. And when he finds something that he cares about and God cares about and for God's glory, then he prays as if nothing else matters. Look at verse 4 through 11. Let's walk down through it. It says, when I heard the words, I sat down and I wept. Maybe I should just throw out there uh, for all of us today. Do you have anything in your life that you care so much for that you're, it brings tears to your heart and to your mind and to your cheeks? What do you care for enough that you want to weep over? Your family? Lost people? Your church? Those that are hurting, what is it that you care enough about that you're willing to weep over? And look what he says here. I wept over it and I mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. When is the last time you as a believer had something that God had so burdened and gripped your heart for that you were willing to go without food that He might know the seriousness of your heart and mind? Here's an application challenge for you. 
Uh, I'm praying for our neighborhood. I want God to burden my heart so much for our zip code and our area and for the lost boys and girls that are in our area and families. I want the Lord to burden our hearts for the people of our church that we not grow cold and weary, but that we would be fervent and loving and disciples of Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna, I, I, I'm gonna try and put my, I'm gonna try and put my actions to the words of the scripture. Uh, I'm gonna fast from after dinner Tuesday until dinner time Wednesday. Now, if you want to join me for that, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an easy way to start to learn to fast. So let me explain that to you. Uh, rather than just going for a whole 24-hour period, maybe what you could do is eat dinner on Tuesday night with me somewhere, right? And then uh, all you'd have to do is fast the evening. You'll go to bed. So for part of that time, you'll be asleep. You'll fast through breakfast, fast through lunch, and break that fast at uh, dinner time for the youth on Wednesday evening. And uh, I'll, I'll just say I'm probably going to make that fast just from solid food, so I'll probably try and drink uh, water and maybe a cup of coffee. Otherwise, I'll get those headaches that some of us get, you know. And uh, in the nighttime on Tuesday evening, when I, 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 like, to, I, I like to watch basketball and uh, eat Cheetos. So when I, when I get that hankering for some Cheetos Tuesday night, I'm just going to pray that God would save men and women and boys and girls in the 27608 area code. And I'm going to pray that God would work in all the lives of the people that I'm looking at right now, that you would stop being miscellaneous Christians and that you'd confess sin in your hearts and that you'd ask Jesus to be the king of your soul and that you'd live for him every day. And Tuesday morning, right, when I'm driving in and I, I cut there on Hodges and Biscuitville is on my right and I want to swing in there and get that pimento cheese and bacon biscuit to the glory of Jesus. Anybody ever had one of those? Good stuff, my friend. Tuesday morning, as I'm driving past Biscuitville, I'm going to say, Lord, I, I pray to God that one day you give me children and that you'd help me to love them as a father the best I can. But until that day happens, I pray for every father and every mother in our church that are raising their children in a really wayward world. I pray to God that you'd give them wisdom and strength and grace and power to be the kind of men and women they should be for their children. And uh, I'm going to get this one in here too because it doesn't get said so much. Lunchtime, when El Rodeo begins to sing in the back of my mind like a hymn to the glory of Jesus. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for every single person in our church. Did you know that you can be single and be a fully flourishing human being in God's kingdom? Some of you didn't know that. But in case you were wondering, Jesus was single in his lifetime and he was fully flourishing. I pray, Lord, help, help all of our young adults and help our people. Lord, help those folks that are single again. Help those folks that have been single because of uh, being made a widow. Encourage them and fill them. God, and maybe right before dinner time when I'm really just famished and I'm ready to eat two or three. Now, don't come here on Wednesday having fast. Eat like nine hot dogs in there, all right? Defeats the point. Four. Four is good, okay? 
That's not, that's not that long. You can do that. You, you, could, you could miss breakfast and lunch. You sleep half the time. I just want to ask you, you know, I'm just putting that out there. Listen, you need to, if you have questions about it, discuss it with me afterward. If you have medical conditions, I understand that. Please just understand the intent of the passage. Is there anything that God has burdened your heart about so much that you weep over and that you'd be willing to miss a meal and beg and plead for God to do some incredible things in the life of unbelievers and the lives of believers? Look what it says here. And he prayed. Verse 5 down through verse number 10 is what's known as a lament prayer, but uh, really I think we'd probably call it a prayer of repentance. And uh, there's a few form, formulas in here. So the first one is that there's adoration of God. It begins that way. Look at verse 5. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven. Or it says, O Lord, uh, here it is the word Yahweh. It means that covenant Lord, the personal nature. And the God of heaven speaks of His sovereignty. The great and the awesome God speaks of His eternality and His power. And there's a praise of God who preserves the covenant and the loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. The, the prayer begins with the holiness and the greatness and the power and the majesty of God. And all of our prayers must begin there. Not in our own efforts, not in our own abilities, not in what we can give to God, but we begin our prayers with great praise and adoration for how wonderful and marvelous He is. If you want a practice to do in your life that will help you, when you have the deepest need of your life and you're ready to pray and ask God for that answer, begin that prayer with adoration and praise. You know what will happen deep in your soul? There'll be this grinding. I've got to get to that prayer. I've got to get to that prayer. I don't do it. Wait and praise God first. And God will draw and straighten your request to fall in line with His. Look at verse number 11. There's 6. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night. Can I stop for a minute and tell you this? In the book of Nehemiah, uh, nine times Nehemiah prays in this book. He prays in the first chapter, he prays in the last chapter, and all in between. And what does it say here? That he prayed day and night. What's your prayer life like? The Bible says, evening, morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud to God, and He shall hear my voice. Do you pray with a fervent burden on your heart day and night? On behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing, here it is, the second portion, not only is there praise, but there's confession. Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we... You see that leadership quality in Nehemiah that should be in your life, which we have committed. Nehemiah doesn't put himself over and against the people of Israel as if they're bad. You know, Lord, those people are bad. Correct them and then bless us. Nehemiah says, we've all gone astray. We've all gone after our own sin. We all have done wrong. God, we confess our sins together. That's the mark of genuine leadership. That's the mark of Christian leadership. That's what Isaiah does in Isaiah chapter number 6. He says, Lord, not only their sins, but my sins too. And he begs for the angel to come and take the coal off the fire and put it upon his tongue to burn away the impurities of his sin. Verse number 7, We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Hey, brothers and sisters, 
I, I've told you this before, but I just share, it's more just kind of a friendship family sermon today. I'm sorry. <laughs> right now where you are, if you can't think of three, four, five, six sins that really need confessing, like, you know, in a minute when we bow our head to say, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I've been doing that. I haven't been doing that. If you can't think of that right now, you're not right with God. If you think you're okay right now, you're not. See, people that, and people that are really walking with Jesus, the longer you walk with Him and the closer you get to Him, the brighter the spotlight gets. Say, Steve, how, how would you find a scripture to support that? I think we could begin by saying the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life, I am the chief among sinners. And if the Apostle Paul could look a congregation in the face who wrote a majority of the New Testament books, or at least the epistles, who we would consider to be one of the greatest Christians that has ever lived, and he would voluntarily uh, give you the information, I am the chief among sinners, who do we think that we are to say that we're not? Part of our pride and part of the way we treat each other poorly is because we don't have an overwhelming sense of our sinfulness. You don't have to prick too far on the scabs of my life to find sin. And you're the same way. And if we want to see God's power in our life, we pray for what we care about, and when we care about something, we pray as if nothing else matters. Well, look down verse number 10. Let me, uh, let me finish this today. When we pray as if nothing else matters, we will be ready to act. Is that a fair enough point? We'll be ready to act. Look at verse number 10. They are your servants, your people, whom you redeemed by your great power, and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man, speaking about the king. And then the chapter ends with that odd little phrase, now I was a cupbearer, the house of the king. On uh, Friday uh, at lunchtime, usually, we have a little reading group in the conference room. You're more than welcome to come by and uh, just read with us and eat lunch. And a few weeks ago, we were discussing this passage, and, and uh, one sister in that group said, you know what was, what was really great and loved it? Help point something out to me. It said, Nehemiah had a regular job, and he still had a burden for God. Man, that hit me right between the eyes. Nehemiah had a regular life, a regular person. He didn't wear the suit. He worked a job, and yet he worked a regular job, lived a regular life, had a regular thing going on, and still his heart was heavy and burdened for the Lord. And he was willing and ready to leverage his skill and his job and his life for the kingdom of God. What about you? I don't think anybody in this room, when, when she said that, I said, mm, I'm going to write that down and preach on that. that. That'll preach right there. Hey, listen, nobody in this room, including yours truly, has any room at all to say, my life is so busy I can't serve God. My life is so busy I can't be so burdened and pray deeply and want and long and leverage my job and skills and abilities and life 
for what God is interested in. Nobody has that availability. I don't know, well, I know many of you, but, and I know a lot of what you do, but I, I mean, it'd take me forever to kind of weave that lesson into your life. So I'm just going to ask you maybe point of application today. When you go home, maybe you can think in your own life, how, how do I leverage, how do I take my skills, my ability, what God has done in my life, where I am, the platform I have, the people I influence, how do I take that and do something for God? Maybe the application today is for most of us to go home and just pray for a little while and say, Lord, what, what do I care about? What do you care about? And, and are those matching up? Lord, do I really pray? Do I, do I weep and pray and fast? Is there something, is there any purpose in my life that is worth doing those things for? Lord, where I am in my life, am I willing to leverage that? Am I willing to use that? Am I willing to risk any of that? for something you want done. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? In just a second, we'll sing together. I told you when we began that uh, this series is a little less over the top than the book of Revelation. But I feel like the Spirit of God wants us in Nehemiah this summer. I hope that it's not been so intensely practical that you don't come back next week. <laughs> but maybe just right now where you are, you just take a moment and pray. Just ask the Lord to help you. And if you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, we want to help you find that. You can come see me after the service and talk to me. Salvation is about you giving up and pleading with Christ to save you. And Christianity is about living for Him all the days of your life. Just stand and sing with us.